Mark's Gospel just said that those first disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John, left everything to follow him. What would it take for you to leave everything? You would have to encounter, experience something worth it. Last Sunday in the Gospel that we read from John's Gospel, Jesus called his first disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John, to leave what they had and follow him. This Sunday, in Mark's Gospel, we read when Jesus called his first disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John, to come, leave everything, and follow him. I could just give the same homily again. Maybe no one would notice. But God could have done the efficient thing. He could have just had the apostles write only one gospel, put all the information in there. Wouldn't have to deal with these three other ones. But he did write four gospels for a reason. Because each account brings out something slightly different. It has something different to offer us. In John's gospel, which we read last weekend, Jesus says his first words in the gospels. What are you looking for? But this week, in Mark's Gospels, Mark's Gospel, Jesus says the first words in Mark's Gospel, and they are, repent. Some people would prefer to read John's Gospel. But the word that Jesus uses there when he says, repent, in Greek it's metanoite. It means to have your mind changed. Not just to change your mind theoretically about an idea, but to have a new way of looking at the world, to have a change of heart, to engage with life around you in a different way from how you've engaged it previously. As Catholics, we're really extremely blessed, more than we realize a lot of the time, I think, to have available to us the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Father Patterson and I celebrate it on Saturday afternoons, but we're always available for it, anytime you want. And sometimes people, I think, leading up to it, maybe this is the reason people stay away for a long time from that sacrament sometimes, um, they just feel a little skittish. It's a little strange to have to go and confess your sins in front of another person. It can be a little embarrassing, although people rarely have the experience of feeling embarrassed in the sacrament. They just People seem like they have really good experiences of God's mercy. But we have a great reason to give thanks, because while we have in our church the sacrament of private confession. In the early church, there was only public confession. You want to do that once a year? We'll pass that. Um, but I am going to engage in that practice of the early church this morning and make a public confession of something that is um, dark, embarrassing about me, Uh, and I hope not too embarrassing uh, for you to have to hear. Uh, And my public confession is this, that I, um, despite everything, enjoy the music of Taylor Swift. (laughs) It's bad. And I listened with interest recently to the album that came out in November December. 
And this is not the old Taylor Swift. This is not the Taylor Swift of it's a love story, baby just say yes. This is Taylor Swift 10 years later, angsty, a little burnt out, angry with the world. She says, even in the first song on the album that gives you a very clear sense of where everything else is going, she speaks about this relationship she's in with some anonymous man. And she talks about the kind of level of deceit that there is in the relationship both ways. And you get the sense from the way she talks about it, like she's actually kind of okay with the level of deceit that there is. She knows she's been deceived, and she doesn't really care. Because, the assumption seems to be, there isn't anything better that's going to come along at this point, and so you may as well take a false love, or a deceitful love, or somebody who doesn't really care about you, because that's all you've got. And the question is, is that really all that we have? Is that the best that we can hope for? If that is the best that we can hope for, you should go home and I should quit my job. But I'm staking my life on the fact that there is more that we can hope for. There's more than just this kind of burnt out, fizzled out love after seven years or ten years. Uh, there's more than just something that leaves you empty after you get it. There has to be something better. I wonder in part if Peter and Andrew and James and John had maybe felt some of that disappointment, which was why when this strange man comes along and looks at them and introduces himself with the last thing you would think to introduce yourself with, the phrase, repent, they say, there's something about this man, and I want to be near him. And what made Jesus different, transformative, for Peter and Andrew and James and John was that plenty of people had told them to repent, to have their hearts changed. But Jesus actually changed their hearts. When they saw him, something about the way that they looked at him, something in his presence, somehow they were able to discern that there was divinity, that God was in this man, that this man was God. And their hearts opened up. They left everything, and they followed him. And this still happens. People still experience this. A couple of weekends ago, after Mass, on the Feast of the Epiphany, uh, a parishioner who came back to Mass recently, after a long time away, not just 2020, uh, said, came up to me after Mass, he said, Father, you can't believe how amazing this is to get to experience Masses for Christmas and for Epiphany after 30 years. People leave everything, and they follow him. And they come back and they experience something that was more satisfying than anything we've experienced before. I was talking a little bit last week about the call that we have, that every Christian has uh, to invite people to become, like Jesus says here, fishers of men, and to bring people along with us toward the Lord. And part of that, part of the work of doing that, is also to examine our own lives and ask, God, when have you intervened in my life? Where have you been active? And maybe something will come to mind right away. 
Could be something big, might be something quiet. Or it might be uh, that you think about that question and you say, no, I can't really find any time when God has intervened in my life. And I'm willing to stake my life on this too, that that's not true. And that if you pray to the Holy Spirit, he will enlighten you and show you, maybe in a way you don't expect, some way that God has been active in your life. Peter and Andrew, James and John, maybe were willing to follow Jesus because they realized that there was something deeper here, that what they had had before didn't leave them fully satisfied. And we come to the, and can do this um, when we receive the Eucharist. In fact, when Jesus first speaks about the Eucharist in John's Gospel, people leave. They think this is too crazy. And Jesus says to Peter, will you also leave? And Peter, having experienced what his life was like before and after Christ, says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. There's a great song by the band 10th Avenue North. They have a lot more helpful things to teach us about life than Taylor Swift does, perhaps. And very simply, in a refrain, speaking in the voice of Christ, the singer says, I'm by your side wherever you are, in the dead of night whenever you call, and please don't fight these hands that are holding you. My hands are holding you.